Good morning, church. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We are glad to have you with us. Happy New Year. <laughs> We're going to get started with worship, so let's stand if you're able. Let's lift our voices. Let's worship King Jesus.
by day, I know He will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to Him. When the
Welcome once again to La Jolla Community Church. We are glad to have you with us this morning. Happy New Year. Happy bright New Year. And um, just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, we have, um, you should have received a bulletin on your way in here on which you'll find two cards. The first card, we have a connect card. It says, uh, get connected with us. Uh, it's great, especially if you're joining us for the first time today or if you recently moved, you have a new address, um, please take a moment, fill that out. Um, uh, help us stay in touch. And um, it's a, also a great way to um, learn about events and um, happenings at the church and possibly ways that you can, uh, to get involved. And then on the opposite side, we have a prayer card. It says, let us pray for you. Please take a moment and fill out uh, the prayer card so that our prayer team can pray for you over the week. And after the service, uh, take those cards along with any tithes or offerings and drop them off in the box by the, uh, by the exit there. And um, I'd like to welcome up Pastor Steve. Thanks, Jenna. Well, hey, uh, it is a new year. Are, are you fully into it? It's it's. It seems like Christmas was so long ago. It was a couple weeks ago, and it just seems, wow. Do you feel that way? It's amazing how fast life goes by. Um, so we can't control the fact that life feels like it goes by fast. What we can do, though, is we can make sure that we live every day fully. Uh, we've got one day at a time. That's, that's, that's the whole premise 
uh, of life, right? If you, if you want to live life fully, live it one day at a time. I love planning. Uh, maybe you do too. I love looking out and saying, hey, what could happen? What should happen? I love making all those plans. Every once in a while, they actually happen in the way that I planned them. But having made the plans, uh, I find the great challenge, the great discipline of life is living today fully. Uh, carpe diem, right? Seize the day. Uh, really hard to do if you're having a bad day. You just want to move on and get through it. Uh, it's oftentimes the time that you need to say, wait, something is going on in me and around me that I need to pay attention to. I might not be able to solve it, control it. I, I hardly can endure it, but I need to pay attention to this day. Other times, uh, you're, you're having a great day, but you, you think about what's coming up next. Are you one of those people? While you're having a great meal, you're thinking about the next meal. Uh, if, if there are certain countries that that's just a fact. If you're Italian, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not, do, do Greeks think that way? You know, at, at lunch they're talking about dinner. I, um, I remember t- one time being on a sailing trip um, out in the middle of the Pacific, halfway between the United States and Hawaii. And, and it was one of those beautiful days like today. And uh, all five guys uh, racing this boat were sitting on deck, just kind of alone in their thoughts. Five guys on a 35-foot boat. You want to be alone in your thoughts once in a while? And, and as the guys were sitting there uh, on this beautiful day in the sun, I said, hey, what are you all thinking about right now? Every one of the guys said, the next trip. They said, I'm loving this trip, but I'm thinking about, another, I'm thinking about a mountaineering trip or another sailing. You know. um, so, so one of the great things about this new year, it's kind of artificial, but we say, hey, it's a new year. Well, what's so new about it? It's just another day, uh, you know, date in a calendar. But as we think about a new year, it's such a great excuse to say, what should or could be different about the way I live my days? And one of the things I've noticed about getting slightly older, I'm way past my uh, 20s now, but um, I think, wow, I, I savor looking back. And over the holidays, it was kind of odd. I, just, you know, I was hearing from so many people I haven't talked to in a long time, from way back in my life, and, and hearing about what God's doing in their life and what's happening with them. And, and part of that is, is a temptation to get stuck in the past, Right? The other part of it, though, is to have a context of, gee, did I live fully when I had the opportunity to live fully? Uh, if you ever saw that famous movie, Schindler's List, a, a painful movie to watch, if you have not watched Schindler's List, you've got to watch it. It's challenging as it is to watch that, that brilliant movie. But at the very end of the, the time, uh, there's Schindler having helped all these people uh, you know, get out of prison, and now as he's facing the fact that Germany has lost, the Nazis are scattering, and the Americans are coming in, he's realizing, I could have done more. This watch, I could have, for this watch, the price of this watch, I could have gotten this many more people freed. For this car, I could have, etc. So what we're doing right now is gonna, we're going to frame this new year around Jesus' Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. You see this in Matthew. And basically, the Beatitudes is a fancy word for the blessed are yous. The blessed are yous. Uh, sometimes that word has been translated happy. You can translate the word happy, but somehow in our culture, happy just does not cut it. Just like the word nice means a lot, but one of the most brilliant things I ever heard um, was Cara Francisco um, said, nice is not a fruit of the Spirit. You remember saying that? Does she say that every day to you guys? Is that something that you know? So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit, what happens when God's alive in you and you're alive in God. Nice could be a descriptor because loving people are nice, 
Faithful people are nice. The problem is nice doesn't capture it, nor does happy capture this word blessed. So we're going to take a deep dive into these Beatitudes. Uh, if you have saw any of the two digital messages, two digital services we sent out on Christmas Day and New Year's Day, on New Year's Day, I asked two questions and answered them out of Acts chapter 9, Jesus' encounter with uh, Saul. I won't go into it all right now, but I'll just remind you. Two questions. Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? Those are really profound questions, don't you think? Who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? It's a four-minute message. Go back. You, if, if you get our emails, you got it. If you didn't, just go back uh, into our website, and you'll see our messages. You can watch this four-minute message. Uh, I would watch it just because I've never done a four-minute message. That's like a, I, I can't say hello in four minutes. You know, so. Who are you, Lord? What do you want me to do? Today we're asking more questions, and we'll be going deeper into these questions in, in the month ahead. Who are we? Who are we? And what does life mean? How do we relate to God and to one another? So here God comes into the world, and you think, okay, he's going to then tell us all the things we're curious about, we need to know, want to know. Uh, just like the last word out of somebody's mouth before they die. Um, Mary Rule's dad uh, passed away in his sleep last night, 100 years old. Several weeks ago, they celebrated his 100th birthday. He died peacefully in his sleep. You know, and when somebody is at the end of life, you're, you're anxious to know, what, what, what's the last thought for them? What are they thinking? Uh, but most importantly, in the case of Jesus, we know what he said at the end. It is finished. I've done what I came to do. But what did he say at the very beginning and throughout his three-year ministry? These are what are... are captured, embodied in the Beatitudes. Who, who are we? What does life mean? How do we relate to God and to one another? So we see in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, if you have a phone or a Bible with you, otherwise we'll, I think we'll throw it up as a slide. Now Matthew 5, 1 to 3, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What an odd thing to say. I was kind of thinking he would start by saying, glad you're all here, just want to let you know I'm God. I've come to save the world. Uh, I've come to fulfill God's promises to Israel. I've come to transform the human experience from one of feeling lost, unsettled, constantly anxious and overwhelmed by life to a life of deep shalom, the very peace of God in you and through you flowing out of you like rivers of living water. You want to hear something like that. Instead, he starts by saying, hey, great news if you're poor in spirit. You've come to the right place. Powerful, powerful. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, we could take months unpacking this. I just want to take the next few minutes and unpack this with you. Uh, because this is lesson one in Jesus's what we call Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you've been to Israel, you've been to the areas that are most likely the area where this happened. Uh, <clears throat> beautiful, beautiful spot looking out over the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. And assuming this was the springtime, it would have been just, you know, wildflowers. And the whole epic thing would be, this is a beautiful place to hear some very beautiful things. And he sees the crowds, he goes up on the mountainside, sits down, um, and he begins his curriculum of the new covenant. Uh, well, we're going to celebrate Holy Communion today. 
And it's about celebrating this covenant, this, this relationship that God has initiated with us. We talk about the old covenant, what we see encapsulated in the Old Testament. Bad words, because old just sounds like it's no longer meaningful, relevant, or uh, important. But old, we should be the primary testament is the Old Testament. That was Jesus' Bible. And the old covenant, the original covenant was God God's saying, though you're, you're lost to me because of your own rebellion, I'm going to come and save you. And the entire First Testament, uh, this initial covenant, explores that. And now Jesus comes to fulfill that, and, and the way it's described is this is a new covenant, a, a new understanding of this relationship uh, that is completely continuous with what God has been doing and saying, but takes you to a place you didn't expect. So this is lesson one in that curriculum of the new covenant. And he sees a crowd, but when Jesus sees a crowd, he just doesn't see a crowd like you and me see a crowd. We see crowds and it's just overwhelming. Uh, you, you can't, it's, hardly, it's hard to differentiate in a crowd, just so many people. And the longer you live, uh, as you walk through a crowd, you think, I must know these people. They look so familiar to me. Because they all look like somebody you've seen somewhere. And you think, do I know that person? Um, but crowds are undifferentiated. Uh, you don't have community in a crowd. If you, if you go to the mall and you walk around, you're not in a community. You might like being there, but it's not community. Uh, if you... Uh, are showing up at, at SoFi Stadium tomorrow uh, to watch that TCU game. I can't remember who they're playing, actually, but um, uh, uh, having watched that game with TCU fans, uh, I can tell you uh, this is an, an epic, epic moment for them. And they're going to have this euphoric sense of being TCU in that stadium. And they're going to let you know the funky purple outfits and everything, you know. It's, it's going to be a big TCU day. A lot of those people might actually know each other. I bet all of them know that if they started talking to somebody long enough, there would be a six degrees of separation thing. But there's still not really a community. Jesus sees a crowd, and what does Jesus want to do? He wants to draw them into this relationship that will change everything. So he sits down. That's, a, that's an expression of authority. We, we tend to speak standing up. That's our expression of authority, is you stand up. When somebody sits down, it's more relaxed, more kickback, casual. Typically an interview a conversation is sitting, a presentation is standing. So he sits down to teach them, and then he calls them into community, into his kingdom, by starting with this. Blessed, <laughs> blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This was shocking for people to hear. Because in that day, and in our day, being poor is not blessed. You're going to love this girl. She is so poor. This guy is awesome. He's poor like nobody I know. Poor is something that, that you know, pulls and elicits sympathy and empathy from us. It's not something we aspire to. You know, kids, I'm just doing everything I can so you can grow up and be poor. It's just an odd thing for us to think about. And yet now Jesus frames it as, blessed are you. See, in Jesus, God brings his kingdom to us, and he meets us in our poverty with hope with unconditional love. So basically saying to these people, where you are is where I want to meet you. And so where are you today? Where are you, apart from who you aspire to be and who maybe people assume you are, uh, where are you? You have a sense of spiritual poverty, not false humility, uh, not, not, you know, faux humility, oh, I'm just so poor. 
I, I, I'm just nothing, I'm a worm. Uh, or, you know, because I'm poor, I'm not responsible to do anything. But I mean true poverty. Do you have a sense of, you know, there's a gap in me, there's a hole in me. Uh, you've heard of that God-sized hole that each person has, a God-shaped vacuum that only he can fill. And, and this is what Jesus is presenting. He's brought his kingdom to the people. People who are hungering and thirsting for his kingdom, he's now bringing it to them. I mean, these people were showing up. Thousands of people were showing up, not because he had nothing else to do, but because this looked like their only hope. If this guy is who we think he might be, a great prophet of God, an inspiring leader, perhaps the Messiah himself, this is what we want and need more than anything. And so the gospel message is that everyone is invited to receive God's grace on God's terms. Often we want to come into God's presence and say, listen, sit down, I have some things I want to tell you. And he sits as if God would sit down, not to teach us, but to receive instructions from us. Listen, this is how it's going and not going. I'd like you to do some things in this order. We, we, we lay out some commands. We call them prayers, hopes, dreams, wishes. And we say, God, this is what your job is. Your job is to make me happy. I'm not happy. Apparently, you're not doing your job. So here's what I would like you to do. Because we have half of it right, that God does come because he loves us and invites us into his presence. What we have confused is whose authority we're going to live under. I love my authority. Don't you, don't you love your autonomy? It's really annoying, though, when you're in a room full of people who feel absolutely empowered and autonomous. Everybody wants to be boss, and nothing happens. It's chaos. If you do that really, really well, you get elected and you move to Washington, D.C., you know? Where all the people who are most autonomous and most want authority can show up and wield power while the rest of the world goes, what is going on there? And this happens in every uh, you know, power center anywhere you go. So he, the gospel message is that everybody is invited to receive God's grace on God's terms. This is the sticking point for us. We don't like that on God's terms part. And as soon as somebody starts talking about God's terms, we shout them down. How dare you impose on me your values, your ideas, your truths. And this is what happened with Jesus. Jesus comes into the world, God himself, and immediately there's conflict and confrontation saying, who do you think you are? And of course, Jesus' response, as we see throughout scriptures, I, I know who I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I'm the bread. I'm the great physician. I'm the bright morning star. I am the son of God. I am the son of man. I, it goes on. He knows who he is. And we're standing here thinking, I don't really know myself that well, I guess. I just know that I'm needy and I want things. Ah, then that's spiritual poverty. How about opening your heart to the Lord at that point? Lord, I, I want you to meet me at this place in my life. Because he doesn't come to affirm our poverty of spirit. That's awesome. Keep going with that. I think that's working for you. Don't let go of that poverty of spirit. Never, 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 never give up. That's ridiculous. Poverty of spirit is meant to be filled with something that answers the poverty of spirit that we have. And there's no shame in saying, I've, I am experiencing poverty of spirit. There's no indignity in acknowledging that. But somehow we feel like we've got to protect our dignity with all these things that don't work for us very well. So instead of affirming our poverty of spirit, our sin, and our culture right now demands that God affirms our sin. 
This is my identity. This is my lifestyle. I'm not just talking about sexual identity. I'm talking about all kinds of identity markers. I'm this, I'm that. You know, and if God's word at all speaks to that, woe to you who are rich. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who are you to... All of a sudden, we're up and we're ready to defend. So he doesn't come to affirm our poverty of spirit. He's coming to heal it. That's even better than affirming it. The Proverbs say, the, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. Because the enemy goes, hey, keep doing that, man. That's working for you. That's good. That's awesome. Because they want to watch you crash and burn. A friend says, don't, don't, don't. Don't do that. Don't go there. Hey, you're crippling my style. You're holding my, me back. You're offending me. No, 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 no. I'm telling you, where you're going and how you're trying to get there is not going to work for you. It's going to hurt you. And I don't want to be in an I told you so position with you. So when we bring the authority of God's word and say, this is what the word of God says, can we, instead of arguing about it, sit shoulder to shoulder and look at it and say, what's the implication of this? And this is what Jesus was doing in his Beatitudes. Because the kingdom of heaven is inaccessible to us, but for God's grace in Jesus Christ. We can define our, and describe our needs, wants, and desires. We just can't figure out the solution. And Jesus comes as the solution to our deepest needs, wants, and desires. And he answers our sin not by affirming it, but confronting it and healing it, removing it from us even. Uh, we all know the mystique of expensive exclusivities uh, available to a select few. Ah, uh, you're qualified. All of you people who have these, uh, you can check these boxes, you're allowed to be here in my presence on this mountainside. The exclusivity of that is very appealing to us. I imagine some of the people in the crowd said, what are these people doing here? Who are these people? Why, why would they be here? Uh, you know, though, how exciting that is. We all want the VIP section. We all want the backstage pass. We, always, we all want to be in the club that's inside the club. Uh, you, Disneyland. You go to Disneyland and there's Club 33. Have you, do you know about Club 33? And I won't ask you the question, I will, but you don't have to answer it. Have you been to Club 33? Well, no. If you go to New Orleans Square, there's a little you know, a door with 33 on it. You go to the door, you ring the bell, and somebody says, who are you and what do you think you, why do you think we should let you in? And if you're a guest of somebody, you go, I'm you know, Joe Dokes, uh, and they go, okay, come on in, Joe. And you go in there and you think, I'm in this inner sanctum of Disneyland. This is the place. And then you, you go in and you realize, it just looks like Denny's. It looks like a nicer version of Coco's. It looks like Applebee's, but not as crowded. I mean, you're thinking, why do people pay this much money to be in this place? Because it's exclusive. Uh, a friend of mine was telling me about another one. Club 1901 is, is now at Disneyland. Also, Club 1901. New deal. A new revenue stream. People can't wait to get in, but you have to be invited. It costs a fortune. And I'm thinking, after being to Club 33 one time, I, I'd seen and had enough of it. Really, I was there for, Jen and I were there for somebody's birthday party. It was really a fun thing to be at the party, but I thought, had I not been there with a bunch of people I loved being with and were really fun to be with, it would have been a non-event, driving all the way from Newport Beach to Anaheim in traffic to go to an okay place. You know, hey, recounters, but it's called Club 33. This desire for, exclus for exclusivity manifests itself in spiritual things, too. 
Maybe some of you, and lots of people in our culture say, no, I know you go to church, you hold Jesus, and that's good for you. But I have a more spiritual approach. I have, I've just paid zillions of dollars for Scientology to tell me that outer people from outer space know me better than I know me, and they're going to help me out. And if you criticize that, I will sue you. I will harass you if you join and you leave. This is the nature of an exclusive spiritual experience. Secret words, secret handshake, secret this, secret that, all opaque, not transparent. You can't ask questions or else you'll offend the powers that be. But we love this. We love the exclusive sense that I know something you don't know. This was huge in Jesus' day. It was huge in the development of the early church. And any of these kind of fake gospels, the Gospel of Thomas, and these other gospels that people bring out every once in a while, and look, a new gospel revealing the real inner truth. All it does is, is appeal to our sense of exclusivity. And see, God crushes that. He says there's no need for that. Everybody is welcome to come. All you need to know is one name, me. You come in my name. I know your name already. So if you walked up to God's version of Club 33, as you're about to ring the doorbell, they go, Steve, welcome. We've been waiting for you. I'm like, and the door opens. They come on in. We're so glad you're here. I'm like, what? Yeah, Jesus has you on his guest list. Do you want to come in? No. Well, he said, you know, whoever opens the door, he'll come in and have food with them and fellowship with them. You don't want that? No, no. I mean, anybody can come here? Uh, it's not exclusive enough. But his kingdom reigns. And so he's the one who can say, blessed are you if you're poor in spirit. Blessed are you if you're poor in spirit. It's immediately offensive, and then it becomes exceptionally attractive. In fact, it becomes irresistible. You're accepting me where I am, how I am, who I am? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because where we start doesn't define you. That's just where we start. Where we're going is what's going to define you and describe you. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Poverty means being bummed and not blessed. I mean, can you imagine reading it? Bless, uh, bummed out are the poor in spirit. It could read that, but for God saying, except I'm here to make that different. And that's why he can say, blessed are the poor in spirit. There's nothing beautiful about poverty. What there is, is beautiful is something that answers our deep poverty and takes us out of it. We want prosperity, but we pursue it in ways that enslave us to false gods. And that's called idolatry. When I put anything, a person, a place, a thing, above God, uh, I'm now practicing idolatry. But even idolatry uh, has its merits in the sense that it's saying, I am made for worship. I want to worship. I've never met an atheist that didn't have something they were fixating on and attaching to that, that, that really became an act of worship. Why? Because that's how we're created. We yearn for that. But idolatry is a false sense of prosperity. And that's why Jesus didn't start with, if you want to be prosperous, you're in the right place. He started by saying, blessed are you in your poverty, for yours is the kingdom of God. That's the prosperity, but blessed are you that you can see that you need uh, what no one else can provide for you. And so, uh, embracing our poverty of spirit involves confessing and repenting. Jesus is Lord. 
Uh, it's being honest before God about our absolute need for his absolute grace. I need you, Lord. I didn't know you. I didn't know I needed you. But now that I know who you are, I realize I need you. It's a big breakthrough. It's a big aha moment for us. It's recognizing our complete dependence on God's love, mercy, justice, and grace. So we can say, thank you, God. Everything I thought you were against, you're for. Everything I thought you were denying me, you're trying to give me. Now the problem is, we as people are so imperfect, and the way we present Christ is so imperfect, it's just inevitable because of our imperfection, that people can use us as an excuse. We become the ad hominem argument. Well, I know so-and-so, they're not that great, so why would I take God seriously? Well, if, if they're really out of it right now, can you imagine if they didn't have God in their life, how much more out of it they'd be? So it's receiving him, believing him, loving him, living for him, walking with him in a relationship. It's being lifted up and built up by him. It's being filled up through his spirit, strengthened by his spirit, instructed by him to fulfill our purpose. It's a life-transforming relationship. That's why in the the New Year's message I said, don't get hung up on resolutions, get focused on relationships. Because that's where the meaning and purpose comes together. Relationships. Resolutions are good intentions, nothing wrong with them. They're just not effective. It's relationships that take us someplace. Why? How can I say that? Well, because if you make a resolution, you're going to need somebody to support you and hold you accountable in it. Otherwise, we get distracted, discouraged, and we stop doing whatever we started to do. It's that personal, relational component that allows us to make something good out of our, our resolutions. If somebody's saying, I'm with you in this, I'm going to support you in this, Keep don't get discouraged. And, and, and we, we trust them enough that they say, when are you going to do this? How's that going for you? When you finally get around to going to a golf pro, what do they say? I know you practice the same swing every time, but it's the wrong swing to practice. I'm going to work on some techniques that are going to make you a, a better, more effective golfer, tennis player, surfer, skydiver. You definitely want to listen to the, the coach on that one. Better investor. Think of all the people who've lost so much money, and they didn't have much money to lose. They were being day traders for two years. So this is what it means to be alive in Christ. Uh, Paul describes it in Ephesians, this letter to the Ephesians, a big city in Tur- Turkey, second only to the Roman, uh, you know, Rome in the Roman Empire as a significant city. He's writing to some believers there, and he says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. Uh, somebody said that's a, a, um, a great... Um, the read what that stands for is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, an acronym. It's more than that, but that's a great way to think about the word grace. Charis, grace. Karia, uh, graceful. I mean, fantastic word to, to take, do a study on. It's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Something about our new identity, our new nature, our new understanding of who we are is rooted not in this world that we can see and touch and experience, but in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven. We talk about heaven being up. It's just different, right? We say up because it makes sense to say up. The Hebrews had a three-tiered view of the universe. But it's not so much up, it's just where God uh, reigns. 
and includes this created thing called time and space in which we inhabit. But we have a new nature that isn't rooted in this world, but is lived out in this world. Because of what God has done through his grace. So we have a new, uh, a new place, a new sense of how we orient our identity, our direction, and what our life looks like, even as we live the day to day. They're not two separate things, they're fully integrated. That's why we say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, the value, the prosperity of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Our response to God's initiative. And this is not from yourselves. Uh, if you're a student of Latin, it, you, you'd recognize the, f- the phrase extra nos. It's outside of us. It's beyond us, but it's real in us. I, 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 I met a couple who were involved in this church, and the church... Um, was very popular, powerful, filled with people. And they just started getting a lot of funky theology pulled into it to the point that it kind of all exploded. And the pastor now lives in Southern California. This was a church up in the Northwest. The, church now, the, the pastor now lives in Southern California and administers hallucinogenic drugs to people so they can have an experience of their own spiritual depth and understanding. He's trying to help people identify the kingdom of God within them apart from the kingdom of God. This is a fool's errand. This is, to, this is to multiply and intensify spiritual poverty. It's the kindness that we receive in Christ Jesus. That grace is what we've been saved through by faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. God wants to give this to us. That's why Jesus could say with a straight face, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Here's the gift. It's not an empty promise or declaration. Here is the content of what I'm telling you. This will change everything. See, the problem is we think we can change everything by a better outfit, better food, a nicer house, more exotic experiences or possessions. But we're still the same us. And, and so when, when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is yours, he's saying what God alone can provide is available and accessible to you. So that if you keep doing the same things you've been doing, let's say they're all good, your job, or your commitments, but now you're doing them out of the orientation of the kingdom of God in you, everything is different. Everything is better, even if you're still suffering and sacrificing doing what you do. This is the, the, the enigma of what Jesus is doing in these Beatitudes. He's telling us things that sound just contradictory to what we think we know. And he's saying, trust me, this is where life happens. And so this is not by our works. Our efforts and our works follow this. They don't present this. They don't deliver this. They don't start with this. My efforts to reach God don't get me anywhere. It's God's initiative reaching me that allows my now effort in his name to go somewhere. Wow, the coach said do this, I'm doing that and things are going better. My buddy teaching me to serve said don't get too close to the nose because you'll pearl. 
The skydiver said, you always want to be sure you pack your own chute. The guy that I went mushroom hunting with said, not that one, this one. But they look so similar, and I'd have to walk further to get the other one. Uh, yeah. You don't have to walk very far at all if you eat this one. Not from ourselves, not by our works. We can't boast. So not by works so that no one can boast. But here's the beautiful thing. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So something powerful is being offered us, delivered to us by, by God himself. So in love, Christ saves us, bearing our sins on the cross. He baptizes sinners, not their sins. This is a big sticking point in our culture, in the church. Well, I am this. Therefore, if I'm being baptized in Jesus' name, this is being baptized. And this could be a, a sexual orientation, not just a, um, an orientation, a feeling, but a behavior. This could be a material, economic orientation, the way we perform and, and function economically. It could be a power thing. It could be anything that we're doing that we see as in, imperative for our identity to fully flourish. And it's, if it's against what God has declared as is the, is the order of creation of how he's made us. I, I just want to enslave people because it makes my world so much more efficient. Baptize me is in that. God does not baptize our sin. He baptizes sinners. This is a really big sticking point in our culture for us to let go of what we think is right and good and, and defer to God and say, God, show me what is right and good. This is why when you look back at some of those issues we all struggle with, why would Christians enslave people? They had rationalized a way of thinking. And finally, somebody, enough people said, this is so wrong. It, it broke that spiritual stronghold in Europe and in the United States. We have so many strongholds like that. We have our own version of that. We are all in a lather about how righteous we are about slavery. And we have so compromised ourselves in so many other ways in this culture. Uh, we, we, we support them through laws, we support them through attitudes, we culturally shame people who disagree with us. This is the dilemma. We've said our spiritual poverty is so awesome that God should baptize it. The Norsemen, the Vikings, when the, when the gospel came to the Vikings, can you imagine how brave those missionaries were? Uh, but those missionaries weren't going there voluntarily for the most part. Oftentimes they were captured and they were made slaves by the Vikings. And once they were Viking slaves, they said, hey, by the way, have you heard about Jesus? And eventually the Vikings responded to Jesus. The Norsemen said, we're all in. And so when they said, we believe in Jesus, and what should we do? Well, you need to be baptized. Okay. And they had, when they were baptized, they, they, the pastor explained to them, you're going to die. All your sin is crucified on the cross with Christ in this act, this symbolic and substantive act. It's both symbolic and substantive. Something spiritually is, is real here that we're recognizing. You are going to die. Your sin is going to die. It's being nailed on the cross, has been on, nailed on the cross by Jesus. And you are a new creation in Christ. And they're going, whoa, whoa. So everything about my present identity is going to be destroyed and my new identity, yeah, okay. Then when I'm baptized, my right hand is not going under the water. This was a Norse practice. My right hand is my axe hand, my sword hand. Can't live without that. You can have all this for God, but this hand is how I make my way in the world. You take away that, you've taken away my identity. And they said, no, 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 no. 
it's all or nothing. Your sin is not being baptized. Okay, I'm going to be baptized as a slave owner. No, you need to confess your sin and repent of that. That was the whole point of amazing grace. The guy was a slaver who finally said, ah, what have I been doing? Anyway, this is the challenge for us. Sin is not our true identity. And we are not the ones who have the right to define our sin. A shocking, insulting thing to say in our culture. In our culture, you do not have the right or the authority to define what is sin. You don't know what it is. You are so caught up in it, you have no idea how to separate it out from your identity. God alone can tell you what is sin. And you've got to defer to him, submit to him, and say, if this is sin, show me what salvation is. So to the Norsemen, we're not saying you can't use an axe or a sword. We're saying you can't live by the axe or the sword. We're not saying you can't be wealthy. We're saying you can't live by being wealthy. We're not saying you can't and fill in the blank, whatever it is. We're saying that's not your identity. God's going to show you the right sizing, the right alignment of every aspect of humanity. Your economic identity, your sexual identity, your social identity, your intellectual identity. But if I don't cheat, I won't do well in school. No. (laughs) If you cheat, you won't do well in life. But how am I going to do well in school? I'll show you how to do well in school. It's called learning. The gap between what you don't know and can't ever imagine knowing and what you finally end up knowing, that's called learning. You see where this goes? These are shocking and insulting words. These are controversial words in our culture. If they aren't, then we're not preaching the gospel. What we're preaching is something that the culture will say, that just tickles my ears and is so wonderful to hear. Now, the gospel is also not just coming up with ways to make people feel bad. It's simply saying, there's a God who loves you more than anyone has ever loved you. There's a God who knows you more than anyone has ever known you. There's a God who who wants to set you free to be his creative partner. Look, he created this world. You think he knows what it means to be a creative partner? Uh, I tea with a guy um, this last week. Uh, He works for Google X. You know what Google X is? It's just called X now. Google X is called the um, moonshot factory of Google. Uh, you've heard of self-driving cars? That's where it came from. They have come up with so many amazing things, and this, this, they've taken the most brilliant people they can find, and they say, your job is to, to, to crush ideas. And so what they do is they have an idea for something, and they find every way that it doesn't make sense and it won't work. And they spend a lot of money doing it, and the more things that they crush and destroy in terms of what could work, they get rewarded and they get bonuses. Because when they finally get to the point that it will work. Uh, it's a big, it's a moonshot. With, you know, President Kennedy in the early 60s said at Rice University in Houston, we're, t- we're going to put a man on the moon. And what do they do? They had a lot of ideas that never made the grade. So this is what Google X does. It captures the imagination of people who think, all right, I'm an expert at this, 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 and this. What if? And do I have the freedom to step out in faith and they're going to give me full approval to do this, and I won't get fired because it failed. Counterintuitive. This is the gospel. Trust God with your life. He's going to take you on a moonshot, maybe in a very mundane, ordinary way, but it's a moonshot of discovery in you. Because sin is not your true identity. Sin is incompatible with your new true identity in Christ. In Christ, our old sinful self dies, 
Our new self rises with Jesus from the grave. That's why we always have spiritual poverty. As a pastor of 40 years, I can stand before you and say, I, I'm aware of spiritual poverty in me. And so as I start this year, I'm saying, Lord, in these places of what I've identified as spiritual poverty, what do you want to do? Maybe it's something that wasn't an issue for me or I knew, now I'm confused about or I don't know, I don't do. I don't know. I mean, I think of all the things in your life that could be in that category. It could be anything. But the point is you say, Lord, I'm thinking this might be some poverty that I'm identifying here. I'm experiencing it as despair. I'm expressing it as anger, whatever. This is where God wants to meet us. So to say that we've been saved doesn't mean we're perfect. That's why we keep coming back to this table saying, Lord, meet me here. So our ongoing salvation, we're saved. We can be assured that we are saved. But our ongoing experience of that is called sanctification. God is constantly identifying the spiritual poverty in us and saying, I've got a solution for that. The X factor is what we're looking for. What does the X stand for in our faith, Christ, and his cross? If somebody says to you, what makes you tick? You can say, it's the X factor. They keep coming back to the cross of Christ. Google X did not invent this concept. It's all started on a mountainside when Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. So where are you experiencing spiritual poverty in your life right now? What does living by God's grace require in this season of your life? I'll tell you. I can't tell you the specifics, but I can tell you the the contours. New patterns and new plans. Revised patterns and plans. Maybe just similar to what you're doing, but realigning them. And we'll be exploring this further as we work our way through the Beatitudes of Jesus. Um, In fact, I'm recommending, we'll put it in the weekly email, but... I'll tell you right now, I'm recommending we read a book this month called Confronting Christianity uh, by Rebecca McLaughlin. If you read the Wall Street Journal on Christmas weekend, in the review section, there was a big premier article on Mary and the birth of Jesus. Profound article in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, it was written by Rebecca McLaughlin. Young woman, married, three kids, uh, a Brit, lives in Boston with her American husband. She has a PhD in Renaissance literature from Cambridge University a theological degree from uh, Oak Hill Theological uh, School in uh, London. Uh, she's been for the last uh, eight or nine years the person behind Veritas Forum that comes alongside the, the, the most brilliant scholars on the university campuses who have a faith in Christ and helps them tell their story. And so confronting Christianity is her dealing with 12 issues that our culture is wrestling with in terms of why we don't buy it. We don't buy the gospel. Brilliant, brilliant book. Uh, very accessible. She's very vulnerable. So it's not like you're reading some, oh, okay, a bunch of ideas. You're reading somebody's vulnerability that gives them credibility. Very compelling. I'm suggesting we read that. But right now, let's set our direction for the new year at the Lord's table. Because this is where it begins. Uh, it, God came in order to fulfill his promises. It ultimately ends at the cross, and then the grave is exploded as Jesus rises from the dead. He reigns in glory. He will return in glory. In the meantime, we get the opportunity to walk with him and know him and to tell the story to others, even as we start to understand it ourselves. But at that final meal with his disciples, he took bread, in this case matzah, and he broke it after blessing it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Keep remembering who I am in you so that you'll know who you are 
in me. In the same manner, during that meal, he took a cup. Uh, I won't go into all the, 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 um, the Hebraic theology behind this cup, but this was ultimately the cup of fulfillment. And Jesus alone um, took that cup and drank from that cup. To this day in Passover, it's never, nobody ever drinks from this cup. Jesus did. He said, this is the, the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. We have short memories. We have to constantly come back and remember who he is, who we are. Uh, and and uh, we invite anybody here uh, to come in Jesus' name and receive this. Uh, if you're not a believer, and we're not imposing this on you, but if you want to open your life to Jesus Christ for the first time, or yet again, or can continuously, uh, come and receive Holy Communion. You go to any of these tables, uh, and you hear words like this, this is Christ's body given for you, this is Christ's blood shed for you. And the people who are administering that will come up right now and stand by the tables. Uh, there'll be music played. We want you just to sit there and reflect on where you are in your spiritual poverty. Where do you want God to meet you? And if you're saying, I don't even know if I believe in him, for the moment, just say, God, if you are who you say you are, where do you want to meet me? And if you know him, you'll say, Lord, here I am again, me. Where do you want to meet me in this new year? Remember, these, are, these, these little kits, uh, open the bread part first, take that out, and then open the, the wine part. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you uh, for your goodness and grace to us. We thank you uh, that uh, we can be new in this year. Uh, we can be renewed in this year. We can be realigned with you and your purposes for us. We can say yes to some things. We can say no to some things that we need to say yes and no to. We can start doing some things, keep doing some things, or stop doing some things because, Lord, you are doing a fresh work in us. But help us be wise and discerning about what that looks like as we respond to your grace. We pray this in Jesus' high and holy name. Amen.
inviting us to come dance with him, basically, uh, to walk with him, to move with him through life. Uh, he's not calling us to stop living fully. He's saying, start living fully. Start living fully. And it's scary to live fully one day at a time. 
So we invite you, if we can pray for you about anything you bring with you today. Maybe your, your heart is so heavy today. Uh, we, you, want, uh, you want somebody to say, I'm here, can I pray for you? Maybe your heart is so light, you need somebody to pray for you. We always need people to pray for us, but maybe there's somebody in your life that you're really concerned about, a situation for yourself or for someone else. Go right around the corner to that lovely little garden, a prayer garden. There'll be people that will say, what can I pray for you about? Or if you say, I can't even articulate it, they'll just say, fine, I'll pray for you. Also, we want you to come out and um, have a great meal. We're having a really fun brunch. Uh, feed This army marches on its stomach. We want to feed you before you go on to the rest of your day. Uh, those of you who are watching online and those of you outside with a better seat in the sun, um, we invite all of you to join us on this journey in the Beatitudes. Uh, we think that God wants to say something fresh to us and to our culture uh, through his word. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, his gaze looking into your heart, your mind, uh, your spirit, wanting to make you new, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for being here today. Set every star into place, so you would remember.